the term hipster has seemed to have become like a it's just like a catch-all for anybody who puts any sort of effort into like what they pay attention to basically if, it, if you're not just like sitting on your couch letting stuff just be dumped into your brain you're a hipster well also it's it's a completely useless nebulous term but yeah. also it, it's the thing that people who are who it's like a weird self-identifying term too. Right. The people who are so terrified of being hipsters and are hipsters will use hipster as like a pejorative. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're the thing that you're afraid of most you are, but also the thing that you're afraid of doesn't mean anything. Right. You know what I mean, exactly. It's like, um, you know, we also, in our own mind, have our own clear picture of hipster. Like, I think if you had 10 people and you were like, all right, paint the word that I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. You say hipster, and they all start painting. You would have really clear pictures. You wouldn't have any, like, vague, like, I didn't know what to paint. I think everyone would know what to paint, but it would just be, like, at 10 different people. Yeah. You know, uh, handlebar mustaches or... You know, I feel like if you wear ear pods, you could be labeled hipster, which mm. is, you know. Well, they're called AirPods. So I what think I call you, them ear pods, <laughs> <laughs> which I think you probably got from like the grandpa <laughs> handbook or something. <laughs> I really am, man. <laughs> I really am turning into a, a grandpa. Yeah. Airbuds. Yeah. Okay. That's it. I'll call them ear pods in. I'm sure you will. 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, so I, we've been talking about a catch 22 episode, right? And today I took time to collect my thoughts, to read a bunch of interviews, to listen to a bunch of interviews, to consider catch 22 and what it means to me and rewatch some parts of the show that, that, uh, just, uh, was aired. What do you say? It was just launched on Hulu. It didn't air. Yeah. It was just uploaded. Released. Released. Um, Come on. Hey, I called them ear pods. <laughs> so I did all that work and then I left the document at work. Mm -hmm. So, so wait a minute. So you wrote it down on a piece of paper, typed it, you typed in it like word in word why didn't you just use like the google drive word well i normally do but you never read it so i was like i will yeah but you could prepare. still then access it anyway i know i know but I, the other thing too is it's a long story but word would have made more sense in the moment but yeah the extra step was too much for me sure and i couldn't remember to either upload it in Google Docs or to email it to myself. That was too much. Right. So now I'm flying free. Solo. I was going to say solo, but it's not really. Okay, you've. You got to do it. You've already forgotten. Like Jason Derulo. Everything about Catch-22. Um, probably. I mean, mm -hmm. I have still have my general impression, which is that I liked it. Good. I mean, I liked it. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about it on the last time we recorded, which was that 
my biggest complaint was that I felt like they pu- they pulled their punches. Yeah. Which so. is kind of like supposed to be the core of what this thing is, right? Which is a critique on war. Um, and that's kind of what I expected, you know, mm-hmm. with George Clooney attached to it. I didn't really expect like a genuine, like scathing critique. Of, like a Cohen, bro- like all the way Cohen brothers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, I mean, but other than that, I liked it a lot. And even with that, I liked it. It just was a little disappointing. Yeah. So I, what I wanted to do was I wanted to bring some class to this podcast. I wanted to actually prepare thoughts and not yeah. just make everything anecdotal. Right. And my impression of something or a vaguely recollected interview. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I just got so geared up for this. And I'm afraid that you are going to forget everything even in a week. Mm-hmm. So I figured why not still give it a shot. Sure. And if I end up eating it and it doesn't work, then we can just talk about something else and try okay. again next week. Sure. Um, with that being said, so I wanted to start with what first stood out to me in catch 22. Okay. Um, so when I was in like middle school, I wanted to read through all the Barnes and Noble classics. And I remember um, I started with just the books I, I knew I'd wanted to read, right? Mm-hmm. Frankenstein, Dracula, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo, Three Musketeers. I read through all of those. And then I got to the dodgy stuff. Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, mm. right? And like as a middle the school. Snoozers. Yeah, I was like, I, I want to read all these classics, but now I'm in... I'm getting out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. and I don't know how far down this, you know, uh, path I, I want to go. Right. And so I remember I read like a Jane Austen and liked it, but then we started getting to like weathering heights and stuff. And I was like, okay, I got to pause. You know, it was Madame Bovie, a uh, Bovier. Mm-hmm. I read that way too young and that made me pause being adventurous on I don't even know what that is. It's a French novel. It had the F word in it. Oh, okay. Like one of the first early uses. Sure. Uh, you know, kind of like a woman's coming of age, sexual awakening story. Okay. Um, again, read it too young. Didn't love it. What, what I love too is like people who are so fixated, like my parents, for example, who are maybe more fixated, like, in a, in a religious setting, mm-hmm. they don't care what you read as long as you're reading. But yeah. I had books that were horrific. Yeah. That I was like, read it. And it's because it's not rated or anything. You know what I mean? They're just like, you're reading. That's good. I mean, Shakespeare, cannibalism all over it and you know mm-hmm. stuff. So anyway, um, <clears throat> so I then decided to switch over to war novels. And I remember reading... Uh, the red badge of courage. And that wasn't really my thing. And then I saw catch 22 mm-hmm. and, um, you know, classic read some blurbs on it, which, uh, Joseph Heller had disdain for people who gave blurbs, which is funny, but the blurbs worked and mm-hmm. I picked it up and I read it. And I remember, you know, what, what clicked for me was, growing up in like a religious household, it was definitely one of these things that wasn't 
said overtly, but it was implied that they were more moral than other people. And not that the people in the war. No, no, no. That, that my family, oh, right? Oh, like growing right, up in a religious right. household. And, and it was this idea of like, it was just implied, right? Again, it wasn't stated outright, mm-hmm. but the idea is because we can believe in a moral God, we therefore must be moral people. Because mm-hmm. if we weren't, why would we believe in a moral God? Why would we heap that kind of pressure and guilt on ourselves? Therefore, we must be more moral than somebody who doesn't believe in a ultimate morality. Sure. That was kind of the way the the thinking went. Not taking into account that morality isn't just claiming to be or believing in something that gives you an objective standard of morality because it's still, guess what, processed through your own perspective, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so I remember reading Catch-22 and seeing in Yossarian somebody who was a deeply moral secular humanist. He does not make an appeal to a God yet. The things that motivate him are deeply moral and yeah. And it's, it's in such a way that it can be misconstrued by the people around him and and is. So he's called like a coward for the things that he does Mm -hmm. when in reality, and when you're reading, something might hit you one way and it will read as like cowardice. And then it pushes you one step further to see Yossarian's perspective. And for example, like when he gets, um, and see, this is stuff that I'd have written down. Mm-hmm. The character's names I could pull up very easily and recall. But uh, the head of the mess hall. Okay, right. Uh, when he gets him to the guy who's like bootlegging a bunch of stuff uh, to, to poison all the food mm. and he just tells his crew like don't eat it everyone gets sick and he delays the flight and other people are like yeah you you delayed it we're just getting sent back right and he goes yeah but now we'll have ground troops and so you realize like he is actually playing three-dimensional chess like he might be doing something that seems done solely to save himself or purely out of a selfish, um, cowardly motivation, but underneath that, and maybe there are elements it is a deep strategy that's trying to value human life in the midst of this war. Mm -hmm. He's not willing to just go with the plan as ordered without processing it through his morality, right? Mm -hmm. And saying, what is moral and what is just in this? Well, maybe it's not moral or just to not do the mission, but maybe it's moral and just to wait till we have good support to do the mission. And there's no reason why we couldn't wait, you know? It's the insanity of the officers that is perpetuating our deaths. And he's not seeing morality at play above him. So he's having to be that, right? Mm -hmm. So again, he's not just a coward and he's not just self-interested. He is trying, everything he does is trying to respect the value of everybody. 
around him. Mm -hmm. That gets complicated again in a war and it gets complicated also with the chain of command, right? Who's to be held responsible uh, for these deaths. And it comes out in a few ways. One way is when they're trying to write the report on uh, Mick McGann, the pilot who ends up killing mm -hmm. Samson. They're like, <clears throat> he was crazy. The army was not at fault, correct? Mm -hmm. And you're saying it's like, the army is 100% at fault. Right. Like, I will not say that. And they're like, can you answer the question? He's like, I did answer the question, <laughs> you know? And so th there's this there's this question of also like, who is to be held account for these decisions? Who, if anybody is quote unquote deserving of paying a penalty for these immoral decisions that the war is being operated under, who, who deserves it? Mm -hmm. And then you see that in the officer who again, because your Saren moves the bombing line, right? Goes to Cologne thinking that they had taken it over and gets taken captive. Mm -hmm. Well, what's Yosarian's moral obligation in, in that officer's disappearance? And what is that officer's moral responsibility in the hundreds, if not thousands of lives that were lost under his, you know, in, in action, his, his lack of care and concern for them. Mm -hmm. And so I saw in catch 22, a book that was willing to ask complex layered moral questions that kind of upended the simplistic moral worldview that I was raised in mm -hmm. and complicate it in a way where, you know, Joseph Heller isn't, even saying like, I believe in a moral God, that's where I'm getting my morality. And so I was like, again, I was what ninth grade maybe when I first read it, but it, it just had never occurred to me that, you know, morality exists independent of your belief in a moral system, mm -hmm. which I think is something for some religious people, it's hard for them to accept because one of the benefits of believing in a objective morality is that you then get to claim that, that morality for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and so in Yosarian, you, you see a complicated figure that whose value also is not easily recognized, but takes effort to work out and to consider and think about to then understand what is at the heart of this character? Um, which, you know, in, in religious settings, it might just be like, do you love God or not? Right? It's black or white. And if you love God, you're good. And there's no further consideration given to how the morality that you need to now live out in this world, how that's filtered and how that's complicated. To complicate it is endless worry, right? We don't need that anymore. We now can claim this morality and then also give off our guilt to something else. Mm -hmm. And we no longer have to be beholden to that. But it's like the, the morality of Yosarian was so much more real to me because you saw a man who was wrestling with the impacts of each moral decision of approaching life by saying, 
Life is the only thing that we have that's of true value. How can we preserve it? And how can we stand against people who do not value that gift in us Mm -hmm. as much as we do? And is is that self-service or is that valuing the gift of in the value of life, you know, appropriately. And then from there, catch 22 just goes down the list and complicates it over and over and over again. Right. What about people who are just sold out for this ideal of nationalism or dying for a greater good or whatever else. Right. Mm -hmm. That has to be further complicated by, yeah, what is, what are you dying for? We understand that you're dying for this greater good, but was your death still meaningful? Right. That's the key for me. That's the key. And I think that probably highlights the way we view the world differently. Yeah. Because for me, now I haven't read the book, obviously, but for me, the all of it, all the points you've made to me demonstrated sort of like the meaninglessness of everything. And it wasn't really about moral decisions, you know, your character stuff. It was just kind of about how there's no meaning really to anything outside of like what we prescribe to it. And to me, the the best example of that, or at least the one that sticks out to me the most is that bomb line. Cause it's literally just a sh- a thread of yarn on a map Mm -hmm. that Yossarian moves in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, the lines moved. Okay. That means everything has changed. They don't know how it moved. They don't know who moves it. They don't know why it moves. It's just the piece of string that moves. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and ultimately it's just kind of like, there's no like deeper. I mean, like, like you said, I agree completely the the life that we have is like the most valuable resource but there's beyond that there's there's no deeper like that's why yosarian is operating at all costs to keep that one thing well exactly and he's operating with more moral conviction sure than even and again this is the some of the stuff that has to get short shrift but in the book, there's a scene, well, there's a series of scenes where he's looking for one other rational person. Mm-hmm. And he goes to the priest the, or the chaplain. He goes to the nurse and he's trying to find somebody. And the book kind of shows how each of these people is in, you know, kind of off in their own way. Right. Including the priest who seems to make a lot of sense. And then he talks about one thing and reveals that he is off the deep end in a completely other way perspective. Mm-hmm. But for him, it makes a lot of sense, right? Well, Yosarian, see, death is actually a gateway an opening up to something else. Well, if you don't believe that, right, if you just believe that your life is the most precious, you're not going to snuff it out for the promise of something, right? You know what I mean? You're going to hold on to every last second that you have and treasure that, right? And that does make more sense well, than the promise right. of something. And I don't think that Yossarian thought that his life was the most precious, just that life in general. Yeah. I, it, I didn't get like an ego, egotistical feeling from it, from the, sh- from the show at least. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I think those are the moral considerations that we can bring to it as readers or watchers to kind of play out Yossarian's perspective because there are certain things that he would do. And we saw that like with the officer who went missing, right? There are certain decisions that Yossarian would make that would have negative moral implications on other people. Mm -hmm. And you see Yossarian trying to deal with that in some way, let alone the people who have died in the bombings that he has done, which isn't really addressed in the show. Right. Right. Um, so th there are other moral implications of Yossarian's life that does factor in that he does value his life above other people. Mm -hmm. Like naturally we all do. We sure. all have to. Yeah. I just, and <clears throat> I, I didn't really get it as like an egotistical thing or no. like an arrogance sort of. No, thing. no. And, and so, I mean, that's why like, I think Yossarian is, is a, um, just a classic character because he can mean different things in how you read him. Mm -hmm. But there is almost like a secular Christ figure in him as well, coming from like a religious perspective, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Where you have somebody who is coming down to earth with a moral clarity and certainty that he has the right ideas about life in ways that even other people don't. And it's not, again, in an egotistical way, he in some ways is the ideal version of a person in this, uh, in this world, mm -hmm. right? In this absurdist kind of off kilter world, you could make a claim that Yossarian is actually like the ideal, idealized person, like the platonic ideal of somebody existing in that universe. Yeah. Because he has clarity through all these other characters who lack it. And by the end, he is kind of like the only one. There is no one else who is on his level of sanity when it comes to valuing and viewing human life. Sure. Is the nurse that way in the book? Because in the show, she's kind of played as a normal person. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, those are... And when she leaves, that's kind of like a part of his breaking point. Right. Um, and so that has one. So the, the show captures the, the spirit of the book mm -hmm. while not following the details of the book, cutting out major characters, changing around plot lines. And I have to say one thing that I wanted to do is reread the whole book mm -hmm. um, in preparation of this. So I could, I could really speak to it the nurse plotline is one that did not feel as meaningful yeah. in going into the show that in the show they really kind of oh, right. brought out. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's, if that's true, I can't remember enough about it, but it, it did not feel, um, it felt like they really fleshed her out for the show. Okay. And, and changed her. Yeah. Own. One other thing that I didn't like that I remember now about the show and I don't know if there's a lot of this in the book. I kind of, this was actually like the, the, my initial impression of what the book was is there's a lot of like, who's on first routines in the oh, show yeah. where it's like, well, you have to be, you have to be crazy to get discharged. Well, how do you get declared crazy? You have to tell me you're crazy, but you have to, you know what I mean? And they just keep going back and forth. And it's like, it's like funny the first time. 
but then they do it like once every episode. It's like, all right, I, uh, I had it. I've had enough of this. Yeah. That reads so much better on the page. Yeah. I just don't, I think it was written well for the screen. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. But there's something about like when, when you see it acted out, it's a little too on the nose. It's a little too on the nose. Yeah. And you, you just, I, I just don't think you could do it better. You know, the acting was good. Mm-hmm. The writing was solid. That's another thing I'll say. I don't think Kyle Chandler is a good actor. Okay. I I honestly, I'm ambivalent, but I could see it. I could yeah. see when people are like, I don't like him. Good night. I love you. Yeah. I, I think he's in every single thing I've watched him in. He's good in Friday Night Lights, but that's kind of like, it's, it's, it's like it. For, that's like him. Everything outside of that is kind of like, this guy's not that good. Yeah. He looks the part. He doesn't. Right. He hasn't surprised you more than, he, you know, you, you still fall back and like, oh, at least he looks the part. You right. know, his acting doesn't make you forget. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Wrapping, to, to put a, a bow on the um, Yosarian as a moral character mm-hmm. idea, the, the character that he also made me think of is uh, Chris McCandless. Mm-hmm. And Into the Wild, and I think we agree on this, but I know for me, because some people view Chris McCandless as just like a kid who deserved what he got because he right. didn't prepare himself, right? And when you follow, arrogant. yeah, arrogant. When you follow his story, though, you see a a kid operating with more moral cer- certitude, certainty mm-hmm. than the people around him, who again should know better, right? Yeah. He finishes college, and what does he do? He like burns his money, drives until he can't drive anymore, and then goes out. And his goal is to go to Alaska, but he doesn't just go to Alaska, right? And and his goal is always to go back and finish school, go to grad school. But he knows, like, he, he needs this, right? Mm-hmm. He needs to do this for himself. And his writings show somebody who is truly wrestling and grappling with their place in the world, right? So he stepped out and took a chance that, I didn't, I never had the balls to do. And I think a lot of people who just look at him and dismiss him don't have the balls to do either. And he ended up paying a price for it. But I think it just shows the risk of what he was willing to do and not necessarily his lack of preparation. Mm -hmm. I have less respect for the people who do extreme like mountain climbing for decades and then fall off of a a cliff, you know, at 38. Um, Having been prepared like endlessly prepared for that and still failed mm-hmm. versus you know chris mccandless who went out and just happened to pass away on you know his first attempt at something mm-hmm. you know um and so i i that that is again someone who i see uh you know other people can take a look at and be like dismiss him but i see somebody of true like moral clarity and somebody who i respect and the same thing with Yosarian. Like, I feel like if you're gung ho, nationalistic, you know, pa- quote unquote patriotic, right? The idea, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> of of what that means, you're gonna look at Yosarian and just see, you know, like Cathcart, right? Yosarian and Cathcart. Cathcart is like believes in the mission. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I love about Cathcart, and this comes through in the in the show, is Cathcart is a by the book guy, right? Like he is 
true American patriot hero. I'm serving my country. I'm here because it's the right thing. It's the moral thing to do. And he pisses off his officers. Mm -hmm. Like he's not even welcome mm -hmm. because he actually, again, brings a moral clarity that they themselves lack. Right. So when he is getting punished by Kyle Chandler, and again, one of those like back and forth things where Kyle Chandler's like trying to punish him and he's like reciting the articles back to, mm -hmm. you know, Chandler uh, and then showing how Chandler's approach to him is, you know, completely absurd. You're like, oh yeah, like even these people in the system aren't true believers. Mm -hmm. They're maniacs who have just bought into one aspect of the system right. and found their niche. So he is like the gung ho, I'm gonna get these missions done. I'm gonna, you know, drape the flag over every coffin and justify every death because we're at a greater mission while never having to consider are the decisions you're making valuing the lives that you're sacrificing. Mm -hmm. And Cathcart is a is a challenge to that, right? Cathcart is like a true believer who's going to like by the code reveal the insanity of you know these officers approach to the military. Yeah. So I think that's that's like foundationally the thing that clicked for me in reading Catch 22. And it's really interesting because in reading some interviews with Heller, like that approach is something else that a lot of people touched on. Like a lot of people were like, Catch 22 articulated something for me, just like morally, ethically, mm -hmm. that Joseph Heller wanted to include, but he he would never like spell it out in interviews, right? But it's all there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also this like perspective of, of like having an, a, a grasp of what's going on enough today to being able to accurately predict the future or to write satire that's so specific that it will, it can just endlessly be applied to what follows. Right. And man, Heller is like, spot on. Yeah. And I wanted to send you a bunch of interviews because he is like in the sixties and seventies, like calling out all the things that we see today, you know, the rise of corporate cor corporations over, you know, individuals, you know, the end of capitalism, mm -hmm. um, that, that he was, you know, seeing, um, and it is like, it's amazing to see how applicable his worldview is like just copy paste to today. Yeah. Because he was speaking to the things that we are now reaping the fruits of. Mm -hmm. Um, and one, one area that, that stood out to me was, um, Oh man, th again, this is something that, that I wrote down. What was it? There was something that I rewatched in one of the episodes and it clicked to me where I was like, that is the modern milkshake where when he says, uh, I drink your milkshake. You mean? No. Oh, Oh, you mean the, the, the far right people being milkshaked? Yeah. An officer. What, what happened to one of the officers? 
it, it might have been Kyle Chandler. It might have been the one who was taken. Oh, you know what? I think it was. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. But I was like, I was like, the, the end outcome is the same question of his disappearance, right? The outcome is what is the actual moral punishment for somebody in his position, given the decisions that he made, mm-hmm. the blood that's on his hands? Like, is it not to be taken by the enemy? in a war setting, mm-hmm. like would you sacrifice an entire plane of 18 year old kids or the one officer who didn't have enough concern to actually be a part of the mission planning? He's shown us. He's just the guy who gets to go in and pick where they stay and make it all look nice. And like, that's all he cares about. Mm-hmm. But he's also a senior official. Like, you know what I mean? If he had any ounce of moral, of morality, he would actually take a stock in planning these missions, not just in benefiting off of the outcomes. Right. It almost came back to me. I almost remembered who it was, <laughs> but, but, but that, that was the outcome, right? The, the outcome is like, these people are getting milkshaked. Oh, darn. Would I want to be milkshaked? No, mm. but also what have they done? You know what I mean? Like is the milkshake raising awareness to what they actually deserve, which is maybe more than being milkshaked, right. maybe actually going to jail for something. Yeah. Um, and if so, then maybe that's a moral action mm-hmm. to milkshake somebody. And, yeah. and it's not just cut and dry of like, well, he was take, you know, like, you know, the, the officer was taken. So it's just as valuable as one of the kids being shot down. It's like, no, it's not. It's not equal mm-hmm. like if anybody the officer w- should be willing to sacrifice himself in place of those people right um and for that officer he probably deserved to be taken yeah. in place of those kids right the other thing that that made me think of is uh going back to um you know, the, the, the guy who's profiting, who's running the mess hall and mm-hmm. bringing in all the food. Again, it's like in wartime, who profits? Right. And you have the rise of the syndicate, which I was really glad to see. They, they condensed and pulled off in a way that I remember reading in the book and, and trying to grasp what, what Heller was getting at. And again, I think the show did a really good job of when he flies in with German planes Minderbender. Is that his name? Milo? Milo. When Milo flies in and, you know, the troops are on alert because he's flying in with German planes mm-hmm. and yes. he lands them. He's mm-hmm. like, hey, listen, the Germans are part of the syndicate. Right. And as paying members of the syndicate, they have certain rights that they are, uh, and oh, and he's like, and as good standing people who pay even more promptly than the U.S. Mm-hmm. you know version of the syndicate, right? He's like, they have certain. Um, what d- d- does he say? Like principles, right? Like they they have certain. 
I'm trying to remember the exact word that he used. Because he said, oh, rights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> rights. He used rights. They have certain rights. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the Nazis under the syndicate have certain rights. Outside of the syndicate, yeah, listen, maybe they're, what they're doing is heinous and needs to be completely obliterated. But in the syndicate's eyes, as right-standing members, they have access to rights. Right. I thought, I thought that was such a great way of looking at it because if you pay, you have access to the rights. These corporations, these CEOs. Yeah, exactly. They, they have access to rights that we don't because we're not in, in good right. standing. Well, it was also a great way to, to show like all of this other stuff is just kind of a game. And the only thing that the, these people really care about is money. Like that's the ultimate reward, right? Like, like I said, the war, all that stuff, it's kind of just a game. What's important is money. And if you have enough of it, you can sort of be on a higher level. You know what I mean? You're immune from all the other stuff. And Milo is smart enough to state plainly with certain leaders who see him for what he is. There's a scene where Kyle Chandler gets offended when they first meet and he's like, war is not about profit. He's like, absolutely, sir. Mm -hmm. I'm about duty. I'm about whatever. So it's, it's, he, finds the people who really see him for what he is and they just bamboozles the ones who don't. Mm-hmm. And so you do get these people who are like all about country and patriotism, right? Who end up saluting the American flag, the, the enterprise rent a, rent a car flag, <laughs> the enterprise <laughs> rent a rent a car flag. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they have all been bamboozled right. to be like, and, and if Colin Kaepernick kneels or whatever, yeah, it's like, we'll riot. We'll right. go crazy. But yeah, I can, I can mindlessly salute enterprise rent a car. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's, it's such a great, like perfect satire. And what's amazing is catch 22 packs it all in like just layer after layer, whether it's corporate America, you know, the, the insanity of the military structure, you know, the, the general lack of concern that we have for our own lives and that corporations and institutions have for us and how clear eyed we would be if we valued our lives as much as we should. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if we truly valued life, like even how some people claim they do, uh, which, which comes down the pilot who accidentally kills Samson mm-hmm. where he's like, Hey, you're saying, see me. I'm happy, 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 happy mm-hmm. dead. And you are worry, worry, worry dead. He's like, don't drag me into your thing, but you can't just be happy, happy, happy dead. Right. You know what I mean? That's its own insanity. And, um, and again, just y- Yosarian's clarity of moral vision where even when he's being interrogated, um, he's not answering in a self-serving way. He's answering in a clear-eyed way. Mm-hmm. Like, was McGann crazy? He's like, yeah. Yes, he was. He was absolutely crazy. And, you know, who's to be held responsible for that? 
the institution that made him crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the way it is. And you think like, oh, is he going to play ball? And you know with Yossarian, he's never going to play ball. Right. He's never going to do something that's in his pure self-interest that isn't addressing the reality of the world that he's in. And the world that he's in is crazy. Um, and it's just such a great picture of, yeah, moral clarity in a crazy world where your morality is built by tangible things and never having to look outside yourself for meaning. So, you know, in religious circles, it's always like, you know, you're meaningless, right? It's about giving up of yourself. It's about, you know, giving over. It's about laying down, sacrificing or whatever. But you can still get there from a deeply secular humanistic perspective that could actually lead to you laying down your life in a very real way that isn't clouded by insanity mm -hmm. of like, yeah, I'll give my life for my, for my country and never ask questions. That's insanity. Yeah. I remember being told the story of um, world war two. Again, I wrote this down, but there was a Island in the Pacific theater. Um, the Japanese had surrendered, mm -hmm. but word didn't get to this little Island. And they fought an entire battle where like hundreds died mm -hmm. after a peace treaty. Right. And when it was told to me, it was told of, of like, and so we honor the sacrifice of those people. And it's like sacrifice for what? Yeah. The chain of command didn't <laughs> tell them and they ended up fighting a, a senseless right. war. It was like, ignorance. It wasn't sacrifice. It wasn't, you know, like, like, yeah. so, so let me honor their lives by, by not dishonoring them by, by trying to like shade it as some kind of like valor. Mm -hmm. No, it was a, it was an epic screw up and something that like we need to be deeply embarrassed of and not trying to like pass off as like, here's a crazy story of world war two. But you know, those are people of principle and right. you know, and, <laughs> and wartime, it can get crazy. Yeah. It's like, no war is, is completely morally insane. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that war is never justified. I'm just calling it like it is right. It yeah. is insane. And yeah. to think that it's not insane is insane. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, I, I agree. So catch 22. It's, it's, you know, it's like, it's all throughout there. Our lives have hypocrisy built into it. You know, how can we be self-serving, but serve others, right? Yeah. How can I value life yet value a country and how those two things relate and enmesh? It should be messy and complicated. It doesn't mean though that you have to separate the two. It doesn't mean that to value life means that you don't value country, but it also doesn't mean that to value country means to devalue your own life. And so it's like, I think as with a lot of areas of, of, of our lives, it should be more complicated and confusing than it is. Mm -hmm. If life isn't complicated and confusing to you, then 
you know, you're, you might not be thinking hard enough about it. Yeah. You're not really paying attention. You're not paying attention. You've just bought into to one thing or the other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Joseph Heller served in World War II. He actually enjoyed his service. He had a good time in the service. Um, he also came out and said, you know, like, I, I, I would have advocated, you know, or he's like, I'm not just purely anti-war, you know? But he's like, there, there is a reality that we choose not to face a lot of times in this world. And Catch-22, I think, helps kind of reset. Mm-hmm. So all the things that you've been, or that me, that I had been given to believe and accept passively, whether the person thought that they were building in me a moral certitude, that's what they were doing by reaffirming, right? Mm-hmm. You believe in God. God is, is moral. Like, you know, now you, now you live under his grace or rule or command or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so in the end, I have access to a higher morality. Even if I don't consider myself more moral, I have access to a higher morality because there are other people out there who are like, well, I don't believe in anything. I'm a hedonist. Right. Mm -hmm. But like Joseph Heller is like, that, that is not the, you know, the only two options. And be careful if you think you are more moral because are you actually as confused and confusing as your Sarian? If you're not, then you're maybe not as moral as you think you're being. Yeah. So yeah, I've read it a few times uh, in college. I found like eight copies for a quarter each in college and I bought like all eight copies, gave them to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, no one read it. Just fine. <laughs> but um, it's definitely a book that I, like I've bought a few times, you know, yeah. uh, and I definitely want to read again. So anyway, man, it, it definitely didn't come off the way that I had written down. Sure. That was fine. I think I hit everything that I wanted to hit trying to get it all out before I forgot. Anyway, I know I'm missing so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I mean, I liked it a lot. I like the show a lot. And it did bring me back around to being like, oh, I do need and want to read this book. Um, but it's kind of it's kind it's a kind of parallels the hipster thing we were talking about right at the beginning, where it's like you just got people who are just like, yeah, I like country music. Oh, what do you like? And it's just is like what basically it's just whatever is playing on the radio. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to be like judgy about it. I'm just saying there's like a laziness to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The approach is just kind of like, yeah, just whatever is easiest to access. And it's the same approach kind of with like life. You just kind of like float along. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which, <clears throat> and and this is something that I definitely have, have grown into, which is, so I, I, I really, dealt a lot with guilt in growing up Mm -hmm. and guilt also in, in the things that I valued because you do sound like an asshole when you talk about this stuff. Yeah. You do sound pretentious. It is pretentious, but it also is something that I am. I can't not think about. It's something that I cannot work on a problem. Right. Right. 
So for me, like morality, um, you know, morality is huge, huge. Mm -hmm. Where does it come from? You know, what is moral? When things don't make sense on that level, it's something that I just can't let go of, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I felt guilty because you, you, you talk about this stuff and it's like, okay, calm down. And I'd feel bad about it. But then I was like, you know what? It matters to me. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I, I need to just be honest with that. And what I love, and it comes through a little bit in the show, but Yosarian is kind of viewed as that way. Like there's that scene where they're all in the bunk. I think it's like in the first episode and Cathcart's going on about like his mission and they're talking about like doing drills the next day. And Yosarian is like reading a book and puts it on his chest. And then he goes on this long rant about how like, yeah, they have it's just marching in line and what does it mean? And it's all meaningless and stuff like that. And like everyone in the bunk is just silent. Mm -hmm. And at the end, like the other, you know, his, his bunk mate is like, yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> and they just like pulls it on Yosarian. He's like, yeah, that's right. It's stupid. You know? Yeah. And, and, and you realize it's like, yeah, he, you know, he's also viewed that way. Right. But that's who he is. And that doesn't invalidate his perspective as much as it invalidates anybody else's. Mm -hmm. No one else is thinking on that level like that Yosarian is because he's just turning it all over in his mind constantly. Mm -hmm. He just can't let it go. All right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was like, I was like, that is me. Yeah. And, and if, if doing that, makes other people relate to me in that way or that after I'm done and I'm like sweating and I am trying to drink water and get my, right. my voice back. And they're like, yeah, it does suck. <laughs> right. I'm just going to be like, yep, you're yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And be like, well, that's, well, that's my two cents. Right. Um, so yeah, anyway, just like, it just helped help me feel like, you know what? It's okay. Be that pretentious, you know, sure. talk about, you know, um, how public transit needs to be better mm -hmm. and is an engine of inequality mm -hmm. and racial injustice. In our, you know. right. um, so anyway. Um, Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That is official Catch-22 review. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Was I close? And no. No. Um all right. Any new sound drops? Uh I've got the I've got Jesse J. Ah. Ah. <laughs> it's just one of those days. And Fred Durst. That's <laughs> it. I didn't have much time. All right. Any hot takes from you? Um, no, I think my Kyle Chandler take was the hottest of takes, the hottest of, of what I've got that for was. tonight. Um, one quick update as okay. we go. I'm off reaction videos. Oh, really? Forever. Wow, just at the wrong time because of this whole Toronto mess. 
What? With KD. Did you not watch the game last night? Yeah. Okay. What? What? KD gets injured, and then all of the fans in Toronto start cheering. Yeah. What no. do you mean? Yeah, I, I think you're no, no. I'm talking about reaction to like E3 stuff, like video game reaction. Yeah, no, but it's the same thing. They're reacting to him get, getting injured, and then the subreddit is full of because it's okay. So it happens. Everyone in the arena starts cheering. Super gross, right? Yeah. Then all, all the people on the subreddit was those are just the rich assholes who can afford to go to the game. So it's like, oh, okay, here's footage of all the <laughs> true fans standing outside of the stadium back in. Are standing outside of the stadium when it happens, and it's like it's like a it's like a it's it is the perfect roller coaster because it cuts to them and they're all cheering, and you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, so you're thinking, oh, maybe they're cheering like the turnover because the initial play was a turnover, right? And then Toronto has a fast break, so they're like cheering at the beginning, and then they all get real quiet. You're like, oh, that's when KD gets injured. So that, so these are people are showing their true respect, and then they all just go, yeah, and you see people waving and giving the finger, <laughs> and it's just been a flood of those videos all day long. Videos from local bars, videos from people yelling at Steph Curry's family while they're trying to get in their car. It just has been really bad. <laughs> those aren't the reaction videos I seek out okay. anyway. All right. So why are you off of reaction videos? Um, so Nintendo did their mm -hmm. E3 Direct today. Right. Nintendo Direct. Yeah. And they announced that they are bringing Banjo-Kazooie. Right. To Smash. So you're off of reaction videos as of like two hours ago? <laughs> Somebody posted <laughs> a scene of people reacting in like a Nintendo store. Right. I just saw a bunch of middle-aged men mm. older than me. Yep. Like cheering Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah. And it just, it just was depressing. Yeah. I agree. And so those reaction videos you talked about, those are just straight up depressing. What I was looking for when I went out and, and started looking at reaction videos were just like, show me somebody who's like having a genuine reaction to some news or something that happened in a Game of Thrones episode or something uh -huh. where they just like, we're genuinely surprised by it or right. like moved or I might take some pleasure in like the Red Wedding reaction videos of people like literally losing their minds over yeah. something like that. Because there's just something so beautiful about like life mattering on such a microscopic level right. of like a TV show could make somebody feel this way. Like I like it's like genuine surprise, genuine surprise. I like yeah. it. I like it. It's great. And then there's something just deeply depressing about when that genuine surprise is Banjo Kazooie and Smash Brothers. Yeah. Like, I think it's just the scale, right? It's For just sure. the scale. Like, you know, Game of Thrones are putting millions of dollars into this thing. You know, it's based on some really good books and actors mm. and everyone's trying to create these, these emotions and it works. And then on this one, it's like, here's one character in a game and that character is going to hit other characters with his, bird friend mm -hmm. 
and you are like, like hugging and crying and screaming mm. and wailing. And yeah. it's just like that disparate is too much. We've strayed too far. We've strayed too far. Yeah. I've got to have a, you know, at least the stakes are always small, but apparently they can be too small. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the MO of all those conferences though. Like same thing with like the Apple conferences that they do for like their to announce their software and their hardware and stuff. And yep. like with the E3 conferences, like, like people are cheering for the dumbest stuff. And I don't know if it's like genuine excitement or if it's just as like, this is sort of the, this is the motion of the object. You know what I mean? Like we know, I know as an audience member of this thing, after they play this trailer and after the trailer says this tagline, this is how I'm supposed right, to, I know that the camera is going to be panning back and that the audience cheers. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. some of the stuff that people cheer for, like you said, it's just, it's like, this is what? Yeah. So that's it. Okay. Yeah. That's all I've got. Put it on black. It's red. Ah, my dad, man.